Michigan State University has announced the integration of the MSU Student Organic Farm with the Division of Student Life and Engagement. This move reflects the university's commitment to providing students with opportunities for hands-on learning and engagement with sustainable agriculture. Hi, I'm Lori Thorpe. I'm the director of the Residential Initiative on the Study of the Environment. Um, we've been around, RISE is our acronym. We've got so many acronyms here at MSU. We've been around since 1995. We're a living learning program for students that are interested in um, making the big university a little bit smaller and primarily students that have some kind of interest in a career path that's going to take them into environmental studies, science, sustainability. I also am one of the co-founders of the MSU Student Organic Farm, um, 20 years now that um, we've had the farm around. And um, I've been working uh, feverishly this last year because we moved the farm um, into SLE, Student Life and Engagement. Um, many, many thanks to our tip of the hat to Benny Gore and um, his stewardship of the farm and getting it where it um, can really flourish. Laura, how about you? Wonderful. Uh, I'm Laura Young. I'm a sustainability manager with the Office of Sustainability, and we are a small but mighty team responsible for tracking and reporting on progress for the institution's sustainability goals, uh, but we also do a lot of work and partnership building across campus, trying to align all of the wonderful work in academics that's happening, uh, in operations, in outreach, uh, and I'm just so excited about the um, ability to expand our partnership with the Student Organic Farm and what this means for sustainability at MSU. Awesome. George? I'm George Berghorn. I'm an assistant professor in construction management here at MSU. I'm also an adjunct uh, assistant professor of sustainable wood construction and forestry. I'm the research director of Mass Timber at MSU. I'm kind of a sustainable building materials and building processes guy. That's been uh, what I've done for the last 25 years or so looking at energy efficiency, operational efficiency, better materials, better ways to build, better processes to get us uh, better buildings uh, along the way. And I teach CMP 245, which is our undergrad core course in principles of green building, which is how I connected uh, with Lori and uh, Laura on this project. As Lori Thorpe said earlier, she's one of the founders of MSU's Student Organic Farm. So 20 years ago, um, I had two students in horticulture and they came to a couple of us um, that were in sustainable food systems work and said, you know, we're not really getting the classes that we want and the experiences that we're seeking here at MSU. Um, we're interested in a different way of farming. We're interested in small scale. We really weren't even using the word sustainability all that much. Remember 20 years ago, it was kind of a edgy word that and, you know, I've gotten many sidelong glances long ago about that word. Um, but the students were were saying, is there a way that we could maybe have a little parcel of land where we could start to experiment with different kinds of growing methodologies and um, get our hands in the dirt and explore this this new kind of nascent field of sustainable agriculture? And the good coincidence, um, synchronicity that happened at that same time is the Kellogg Foundation uh, just launched a big funding initiative called Food and Society, FAS. And they were seeking letters of intent and concept letters. So um, I said, hey, there's this call out from the Kellogg Foundation, and they're going to be funding projects around food and society. Let's pull together. And students were um, 
you know, also able to write these content or concept letters. So we sat around my kitchen table and it was Seth Murray, who is now on our board of directors for the farm. Um, he's a um, pretty big deal down at Texas A&M now, um, doing really cool work in, in genetics and crops. And um, I hadn't seen him for 20 years, but we just brought him on board. So it was Seth Murray and Lynn Rhodes, and I have lost track of that student, but I, um, they're near and dear to my heart because those two students helped write this concept letter, sent it to Kellogg, and um, we got $95,000 seed money. So that was the beginning. And one other person needs to be mentioned as we talk about it is then, um, at that time, Fred Poston was our um, oh, VP for finance, right? But as he always prided himself and he called himself the environmental dean. And um, Fred and I had worked together on a couple other projects. And so um, the students got the money from Kellogg. I said to the students, you need to go meet with um, Dr. Poston and now let's find you some land. And Fred made that happen for us. And so he said, yeah, I've got this parcel of land out at the Hort Farm, and you know, there's 20 acres back there, nobody's using it, I think it's a great place. And Fred cared deeply, those of you that know Fred, cared deeply about undergraduate education and experiential learning. Um, I miss him, he was a great leader here. So anyways, Fred helped make that possible, the Kellogg Foundation helped fund it, and then we were off and running because we had some legitimacy, right? We had some land and we had some dollars and we had some an external foundation saying, yeah, what you're doing is the right direction to be moving in. And what is the mission and how is it evolving? Yeah, you know? yeah, sure. It's evolved, but it's always at its heart been its name. A farm where students can make decisions and experiment with different ways of growing food. Pretty core, right? Um, and... So I don't think that's changed at all. What has changed is the perception of the farm. For a very long time, we were perceived as these, you know, Birkenstock-wearing, granola-crunching kind of <laughs> kooky people, right? <laughs> Sustainable ag wasn't always, you know, perceived as it is now. It's an above-the-fold story, right? Everywhere. We're all taking climate change seriously. And when you think about food and you think about the embedded energy in our food system, it's pretty scary, right? So these students were, that's why I like to honor them. They were ahead of the curve on this and they saw the need and the importance of it. So students are still absolutely at the center of what we do and engaging with all different student groups. It was a joy to engage with Georgia students who had not really thought about farming before, right? And so we did a design charrette with them. Um, that's just one example of we really like to cross boundaries with all disciplines as we think about food. We all eat, right? And so it's not something that's alien to anybody. And then we start to think about what is the impact of our food system? The farm is the perfect place where students can teach students and take them right out to the field and say, hey, this is what it means to grow these tomatoes organically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, Laura Young, now what what is your role with the farm in the Office of Sustainability? Why are you involved with the Student Organic Farm in your office? So I personally am just a huge, huge supporter of the farm, and it's a bit of a full circle moment for me. I'm an alum of the university, and I can't tell you how many tours I took of the farm as a student probably over 10 years ago. Uh, I volunteered at the farm, and it actually impacted what I chose to study here, and here I am today now being able to work uh, in sustainability at MSU. So I have this really strong personal passion for the farm, uh, but I also think the the really 
what I love so much about the farm is it's a perfect example and a shining jewel of the potential to use our campus as a living laboratory. Um, as Lori was just talking about with experiential learning, when the the students get to get their hands dirty and actually apply what they're learning in their classes and their coursework, what George is doing um, uh, for the, the straw bale building, uh, and, and have this real world experience. And so I know for the students when they're having these types of opportunities, it's gonna propel them into their future career. They already have real world experience and trying to think through really, really complex problems, looking at things from a systems perspective. Uh, and the the farm, in terms of serving as this living lab, uh, is a perfect uh, way for us to capture this in some of our assessments and things that we do for the institution. So every three years, we do a very, very comprehensive assessment called STARS, which stands for the Sustainability Tracking Assessment and Reporting System. Uh, and that's through the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education. A uh, bit of a mouthful there. And this is a really uh, comprehensive, vetted uh, program to look at sustainability from a really, really holistic way. So a lot of times when folks hear that I work in sustainability, uh, they think that we're just working on the solar carports that we have here on campus or that we're just working in recycling. And STARS gives us this really nice framework of sustainability is so much more than renewable energy or recycling. Yes, it's food. Yes, it's water. It's bringing in all of these global challenges. Uh, but it really actually speaks to the academic part of our institution. You know, we are here to teach. We are here to conduct research, um, studying global challenges. Uh, and so uh, the farm was just this really, really wonderful thing that we could highlight, something that's really unique to MSU, our history as an agricultural school, uh, and being able to, to just showcase the great work that our students and, and researchers are doing. Um, and that's also true for our Times Higher Education Impact Rankings. Uh, last year, we ranked number six in the entire world uh, for addressing the UN Sustainable Development Goal of Zero Hunger and the student organic farm was a big part of that. Wonderful. So, and George, talk about your role in the farm now. Boy, so if you would have told eight-year-old me that I was going to have something to do with a farm, I grew up in the Bronx. <laughs> so the farm was this thing that I went to in the summer, uh, about two hours north to a, like a like a petting zoo kind of farm. You know, So I had a very different idea of, of what that was. But the funny thing is now, you know, all these years later, when I think about this, uh, Lori and Laura said some important things, which are, you know, everybody eats. And so we can talk about farming and agriculture as if it's this foreign thing, but right, we all eat. And another one of those memories that I have of my youth growing up in, in the Bronx was of my Italian grandfather, who, of course, stereotypically had a garden in our backyard, right? So we grew some of our own tomatoes and lettuce and cucumbers and things like that. And, you know, never really thought about that as agriculture or food production because that was just grandpa growing vegetables. Um, so yeah, my role in this came about, gosh, I don't know, six, eight months ago. I got a call from uh, infrastructure planning and facilities here on campus from uh, Jeff Bonk saying, hey, I, you're, the, you're the green construction guy. Uh, we want to do some sustainable construction at the student organic farm. Are you uh, up for something like that? And at the time, I thought, you know, this could be really interesting. I was working on my uh, Principles of Green Building class, kind of freshening it up for its next iteration. And the one regret that I've had in that class in the, in the past, because it's a large class, is we've never really dug in on a project together before. And I thought, wow, this might be really cool, a really cool way to get students digging into 
a project. And one of the things we talk about in the class is how you deliver green buildings. So how do you go through the process of bringing a green building to fruition? And that lecture got about 45 minutes of attention, usually in the course of a semester. And we talked about this idea called a design charrette, where all of the stakeholders are brought together to talk about their needs, their vision, how they want to use the space, what they what they think of when they when they think of the space. And I thought, well, you know, the National Charette Institute is actually based at MSU. It's actually based in my academic unit at School of Planning, Design and Construction. And I thought, okay, we probably have some people there who can facilitate this. I can probably get my students to buy into this. And it's been great. So we did just that. Talked to Lori a bunch of times, kind of got some ideas of where this was going to go. We put a charrette program together that 56 of my students participated in, which is about 36 more people than you would normally have participated <laughs> in a charrette. So it was, it was big and unwieldy, um, but the students really liked it. They got a chance to sort of see what this delivery process looks like. They got a chance to ask a lot of questions, learn a lot of things from student organic farm students and other stakeholders surrounding it. And now they're in the final weeks really of getting their projects finished up. They're all taking different elements of the building. They're doing some research projects. They're going to present what they've found back to the student organic farm to say, Hey, here's some suggestions of some material selections or some technology selections that you might want to consider as you create your building. I've got a grad student doing some design work. He's doing some 3d uh, models, some 3D designs of the structure, and it's it's been a really great learning experience. Such a great, another example of the low barriers to collaboration on this campus, you know, exactly. Spartans Absolutely. will. Exactly. Well, and whoever wants to maybe take it, so why the integration, why is that important and, and with Venny's group, and, you know, why is that coming about? Well, how will that help? You know, what I tell people is that when we talk to recruiters, and we're looking at what they need in the world, or we're, we're thinking about grad school, or what we're thinking about where our students are going when they graduate. Hands down, what we hear over and over again is, can they work in a team? Mm -hmm. Can they work in a team with diverse people, with diverse perspectives? Can they problem solve without much guidance? Can they, you know, communicate in different languages, so to speak, right? Can you speak building, design, and construction and horticulture at the same time? And so what our recruiters are saying is that they need students that can do that. And so, you know, I think what we're doing here exactly models for our students, how do you work with people in different disciplines that really don't know much about your discipline? And so it's about education, hands down. Like Laura students... said, getting your hands dirty together. Yeah, maybe. and working on diverse teams that have yeah. someone from anthropology and some from someone from SPDC and someone from horticulture. And oh my gosh, now we've got this project and we've got to figure out how we're going to make it work. Because that's the nature of what we're teaching is wicked problems. And yeah. wicked problems has been around since the 70s, but wicked problems basically, basically are these intractable problems that there's no right or wrong answer to, that you can't solve them, but you can manage them. And what we know from that literature is that, okay, how do you manage a wicked problem? You've got to have people from lots of different perspectives working together, not walking away from the table when things get messy and difficult, 
And so for us, this is just kind of the way we teach and educate is that we like to put them into these real world problem solving situations. And for us, it was a real world problem. We had outgrown our very, very sad and dilapidated workhouse out at the farm. <laughs> very sad. It's gone now. Sus- uh, Campus Sustainability came and took the stuff that could be salvaged, and now we've you know, gotten that eyesore gone, and it was not functional. And that was part of you know, my conversation with George. Right. Is, ah, we, we have a very real need here. Is our students, when they're out there farming with the farm manager, need a space to go where they can whiteboard all the different things that they're doing that's got some pretty low needs, that it's dry, that it's windproof, <laughs> that, you know, that kind of thing. But some whiteboards and some tables and low cost. And, and by the way, we'd kind of like to walk the talk of sustainability. It's our values out there. Is it, can it be something mm-hmm. that kind of reflects who we are? And I think it was Jeff Bonk said, oh, you ought to go to George because that's the stuff that he does. And so, um, that's kind of the beginning yeah. of the story. Well, and, well, and my favorite, sorry, Laura. No, no you're I, good. My no. favorite moments with my students in class, back to something you said early on, Lori, is when they'll come to me after class, they're working on their product, and they'll, and they'll say, oh, you know, during the charrette, we didn't really talk about this, yeah. or I didn't really get enough information about this thing. What what should I do? And I love the, because that's the moment where I'm saying to, to and they're sophomores, where I'm saying to them, go forth and, and, and find out, right? Like explore, mm-hmm. go, that, that's the beauty of this. There's no right answer. How many straw bale structures has George Berghorn built in his life? Zero. This is the first one I'm working on too. So we're all sort of figuring this out together, all working on this together. The idea that there is no pat answer, that A plus B does not always directly lead to C <laughs> is, I hate to say it, I'm not, I don't mean for this to become sort of a discussion about education in America, but our education system can be a little bureaucratic at times, right? No. You know, the search for the, yeah. not, not the, the, the finding of the answer is more important yeah. than the search for the answer, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love this moment to sort of get my students around this idea of like, it's okay not to know. It's okay to not have gotten enough information. You like never em- will. embrace that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Your whole life, you're never going to have enough information. <laughs> so start getting used to what that feels like now and how to work with three or four of your peers to, to make a plan on, on how to solve that problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. When, when I was at the charrette, a really kind of funny moment happened where we were, I think what was really, really neat is talking about all the different stakeholders that might be new, using mm. this new building. And part of that process is ha- helping the students think through um, what are the design potential needs, you know, of these stakeholders and hearing directly from the stakeholders that are in the room, the student crew members. And so I was with a group, I think, looking at water. And one of the stakeholder groups that I had thrown out was our chefs on campus, Mm -hmm. knowing that the student organic farm is now uh, under culinary services. Are there expanded opportunities to come up with new dishes or things or growing food from the farm that can be served in our dining halls? Uh, and so I had thrown out an idea of like, well, what about having like a demo space? And the students all paused and looked at me with really funny faces. And I was like, what did I just say? And they were like, demo in our world means something completely <laughs> different. They were like, we're thinking demolition. And I'm like, oh, no, no, like a demonstration space for cooking with our chefs. Um, but it's just one of those small things of having the students kind of take a step back and have a, have an experience of where even just a simple word yeah, can mean something completely different depending Absolutely. on what your background is. 
how do you define sustainability? Laura, why don't you start? Oh, sure. This is almost like, so I, I got a master's degree in community sustainability from MSU. Uh, and I feel like this is a word that you could spend hours trying to define. And in the literature, it's defined in many, many different ways. So I always try to think about how would I explain this to my dad? who knows really nothing about sustainability, comes from a different worldview and all of that. Um, and so, um, you know, sometimes people might refer back to the Brundtland Report, which is really thinking about how do we sustain our resources for future generations? Um, or another popular one might be thinking about the triple bottom line of people, planet, prosperity. And so I usually frame it around that. Uh, and then sometimes, um, or not sometimes, but now I'm kind of evolving more of, again, trying to get folks out of the mindset of just... They hear the word sustainability and think recycling or think renewable energy. Um, coming back actually to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. I mean, there are 17 goals and they really get out of that mindset and, um, you know, looking at how we, we can't really have a sustainable society if people are going hungry or if people are living in poverty, don't have shelter, are struggling to have their own health and um, a positive health and well-being. So being able to show those 17 um UN Sustainable Development Goals and say, okay, if we want to achieve a sustainable future or achieve climate action, uh, we can't really get that if SDG 1, no poverty, is still an issue. And so helping folks realize that this interconnected system that we live in uh, and that, again, there there is no black and white, uh, very, very complex um, systems uh, and meaning we need complex solutions too. And, and all and that's what's so exciting about the farm is getting students engaged, excited, because uh, we need leaders um, of the future because uh, they're going to be faced with a lot of uh, intense problems going forward. We're slowly growing out of that word. And I think that's what we should do in the academy, right? We're always needing to be staying current and redefining and, and reimagining. And the word that one of... Um, my community sustainability students who are out doing an engagement project this semester asked me about a couple of weeks ago when she was out learning more about what we do. She said, is anyone talking about regenerative agriculture mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. And so this is why we love the student farm because our students then start to bring new concepts up that we need to be thinking about and how do we grow into that way of thinking that it's not just about sustaining people and places and planets. It's about now we know we've done so much damage that it needs to go a couple steps further and say, now how can we regenerate places that have been completely um, denuded, destroyed, um, right? And so I'm going to predict that in the next five years, the students at the SOF are going to start saying, maybe we are, it's time for a name change and maybe mm -hmm. we need to start be thinking about core concepts in, in our mission around regenerative agriculture and how do we regenerate this farmland and this space. And this Very place. interesting. Yeah. George, how do you define that word? Well, I feel like going third, I get to take the best. <laughs> well, that's right. The, the, the first <laughs> yeah. two answers. I love those two answers. Yeah, already. they're great answers. I had nothing, yes. really. Um, <laughs> so the first green building class that I took was in 1997, which is wild when you think about how long ago that was. LEED didn't even exist. The LEED green building standards, taking a green building class. And it was taught by one of the, probably one of the greatest environmental sociologists of, of our time, a guy named Stephen Kellert, biophilia hypothesis. Um, so for me, sustainability has always been people at the core, humans, 
so I have a very human centric view of sustainability. And I think it also has something to do with growing up where I grew up and seeing the things that I saw, you know, around the time that I was growing up. Um, but this regenerative idea is, is critical, I think, in that idea as well, because when we start talking about buildings, because that's really my life is buildings, when we talk about well, how can buildings be regenerative, you know, buildings are really consumers of materials. In fact, in Europe, they refer to buildings as material banks. You know, they think of how to come back in at the end of life and pull materials back out to use for, for later use. But buildings are really just collections of materials that used yeah. some amount of energy for those materials to be made, transported, installed, etc. So how can buildings be made regenerative? How can a building contribute more than it takes? Mm -hmm. And I don't have an answer for that, but I, but that's where... That's really where my thinking has been going the last couple of years is how do we build things that add to the environment? So the natural environment, the economic environment, and the human centric environment rather than just take. And so it's what propelled me into getting into some of the mass timber work that I've been doing because there's some, there's some crossover ideas there. But I think that's going to be the question. I don't know. Maybe I've got 20 years left in academia we'll see you know maybe that's going to be the question that i'm going to yeah. think about the most for the next 20 years i'm glad i asked up three great answers i hadn't thought of i appreciate that so let's talk a little bit more about the actual building that you're working on at the farm what you'd like us to know more about that um i feel like i should defer to Lori. Lori okay we start can start off yes that. that's why yeah, we yeah. have our expert yeah. working with us and our <laughs> and is there any mass people. timber in it right oh my gosh yes <laughs> oh just wait <laughs> So it came out of, as I said earlier, out of this very real need that we knew the workhouse there needed to be um, demolished and, <laughs> and that, and that um, but that we needed a new space. And so um, I can honestly say 20 years ago, I had dabbled in the idea of what would it take to build a straw bale building? And then we got, you know, completely... Um, absorbed in getting the farm up and running and not so much the building. So we threw up an old hoop house. But um, it, that idea has never gone away. And it, it comes out of our really saying, what is, how do we make place there? And that placemaking sense of belonging to this farm means you don't just call IPF and say, let's put up a, uh, help me, Pole barn. Pole barn, right? <laughs> we actually did do that, and the estimate came back, and we said, this just doesn't feel right, right? That's just not who we are. And um, so, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to dig up this straw bale idea again. And actually, George and I and several other people were in a meeting when we had gotten the estimate back on the pole barn that was kooky money, if I can say that. Um, and I said um, to the room, there were about eight of us in a conference yeah. room. And I said, I'm going to throw out a wild idea that we've had just sitting in the back burner for <laughs> two decades. I was just taking a risk, right? But I do that now quite frequently. Uh, what do you think about a straw bale building? <laughs> And this is to an arc, campus architect, you know, a faculty <laughs> member from SPDC, a couple guys in planning, design, and budgeting. And, and I got a great reaction. They said, oh, I could buy into that. 
tell us more. What do you think? I said, well, I don't have much fleshed out on this, but surely building a straw bale couldn't be any worse than this very bland, boring pole barn, right? And so we got the green light in that meeting to say, go ahead and get some preliminary estimates. And what does it look like? What does it mean to build a straw bale structure at the farm? So I left that meeting thrilled <laughs> that I got a green light to at least explore this idea. And so next steps is we loaded Vinnie Gore up, who is our champion, has always been the champion of the farm, and a couple of people from SLE to go down the road to that school, right, <laughs> University of Michigan, where our very, very dear friend and colleague, who was the farm manager here, is now the campus farm manager down at U of M. And they've built a straw bale structure on their farm. And it's beautiful, and it's sensible, and it makes their farm just this sing. It's just this lovely space where the students, you know, do their thing. And I said to Vinny, this is what we need. This is what we want. This is what makes sense. And um, so we came back from that meeting and then got together and started to meet with the right people and talk about, okay, what does it mean to do a straw bale structure here at MSU for the Student Organic Farm. So that's my little and here we backstory. Are. And here we are now talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Anything else or do you yeah, want to add? Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's some interesting things about straw bale structures in Michigan. So the Michigan Residential Code says that they have to have an independent structural frame. So even though you can do structural straw bale, there's ways to do that. Michigan says there has to be an independent structural frame for this building. And I guess the influence that we have as, as faculty on our students comes through in some of that because as the group that was forming around the structure of the building got together, they came to me and said, we want to do mass timber for the structure. What do we need to know? Can you provide us with the information we need to do this? So they want to take a shot at doing at least uh, the frame. I don't know if they're going to do the roof deck with it as well, but I know they at least want to do the frame in glue laminated timber. And And I think these things become important in their sort of in their totality, because when we start to demonstrate what's possible when we don't put artificial limits on our ideas, when we start to demonstrate that one, really, I mean, straw bale is really not a new technology. No. It's just something that no. no one's really thought about in a while, right? So when for we a take, long time. I mean, really, like people were really getting excited about it post the original OPEC oil crisis. Right. I mean, that's, there's a few straw bale structures in mid-Michigan that are from the, the 70s. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but when you start to take a technology like that or a system like that, pair it with something new, pair it with something modern and start to think of how do those benefits now start to stack up? Is it additive? Is it multiplicative? Uh, where do those benefits start to go? I think it opens the door to some really interesting conversations. And it's also just, I think, a great example. Again, we, we talked about this before, but just a great example of what can happen when you lower the barriers to collaboration when people from across campus get together and just start workshopping ideas together and use that sort of yes and thinking as we start to draw up, you know, now in this case, literally our plans, but draw up our plans for whatever it is that, that we're working on. And it's why I think the land grant mission is mm -hmm. so great. I think, frankly, it's why it's so great to be a faculty member here mm -hmm. versus elsewhere. elsewhere. Um, and it's something that, energizes my students they're super excited and i've told them i said this will be 
for some of you, this will be your first project that you can put your name and your stamp on. And you'll do the thing that generations of people in construction have done, which is five, 10 years after you've built something, you'll get within 50 miles of that thing that you've built and you will detour your family to go see that thing. So you can stand there and say, look at this great thing that I've built while your family sits in the car and goes, Oh God, please make it stop. (laughs) Please. Can we get back on the road to where we're going? Yeah. But, but this is the excitement that I think is so great. We, because we can all share in it, right? Students, faculty, staff, we're all sharing in this excitement of creation and this collaborative creation environment. Well, and it's not just about, you know, the students that are building the bu- or designing the building right. now, but, you know, 10 years from now when students are out at the farm, yep. they're going to be able to have that learning experience as well. And for George, your students in the future in construction Absolutely. management, being able to take them out and see this demonstration of um, the innovation and ways of, of just something that seems so simple. You could have the, the boring pole barn <laughs> or you can have this really amazing demonstration That's site right. to make it part of the educational experience for our students. What matters is what we're describing to you yeah, is that exactly. learning process yes. that all of us are engaging in, right? Yes. And that those stories that students can tell, you know, their peers and then the next cohort that comes in to graduate and say, hey, I got to take you out to the farm to see this thing that we did in our class last year. And that, by the way, how many buildings on campus can students say, I helped design, mm-hmm. yep. I helped build, because literally we're going to have students out there helping with the building. Um, so it's just a, it's just this amazing opportunity, I think, for all of us and our students and the institution to brag about yeah. um, and show that we are leaders in sustainability and leaders in education and leaders in food and farming, all of those things wrapped together. And regeneration. And regeneration <laughs> and designing with nature. You yes. know, I just listened to a really cool podcast this past week, speaking of podcasts, by Janine Bennis, who's a, her whole institute is called Biomimicry. And she's talking about all the ways that nature already knows how to do this stuff, right? If we just look to nature um, for inspiration in our design. And I think this is exactly that, as we're saying to the students, look to nature for this design. Well, how does nature insulate? Oh, wow. You know what the R factor is on a bale of straw? I mean, my great-grandfather used to use bales of straw to insulate, right? And I think we know a little bit more about that. But by the way... That's regenerative. We can grow straw annually and sustainably and use it to insulate our homes, right? There's just all these really cool concepts that as we talk about climate and embedded energy and how are we going to fix this mess that we're in, to model it for our students that it's not only the thing that we're building, it's the process Mm -hmm. that says... The only way we're going to fix this problem is to be taking down boundaries and talking to people that are on this campus. It's mind-blowing, the expertise that's here. If we just get out of our little silos and look around and go, oh, there's this great guy over in SBDC. And by the way, Laura and I have been collaborating on things, and I know that this thing matters for her office and for their metrics, right? So let's put our brains together and demonstrate to students how you solve these problems. Well, it's, it's pretty I don't fun, too, by the way. You know, <laughs> learning should be fun, and it's really cool stuff. It's the MSU Student Organic Farm now residing in MSU's Division of Student Life and Engagement.
Joining our panel were Lori Thorpe, Director of the Residential Initiative on the Study of the Environment and one of the founders of the Student Organic Farm, Laura Young from MSU's Office of Sustainability, and George Berghorn, an Assistant Professor of Construction Management in the School of Planning, Design, and Construction. And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.